the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now, not only will your life be happier, but you'll also live longer. Studies have proven that life expectancies for married people are significantly longer than unmarried. Hmm. We're back with another edition of Study Verse by Verse from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. Our current series is called Family Matters, and Pastor Leighton Sheely's focus is marriage today. But don't tune us out if that doesn't include you. I think you'll find great takeaway, no matter where you are in your life's journey. We all have or have had a family, and marriage is just one subset of that broader category. Just keep the series title in your mind as Pastor Layton shares from God's Word today. Family Matters. Children who grow up in in married two-parent families have two to three times more positive life outcomes than those who do not. A Focus on the Family website contains an article entitled, How Could Divorce Affect My Kids? And from it we read, many years ago, the myth began to circulate that if parents are unhappy, the kids are unhappy too. So divorce could help both parent and child. What's good for mom and dad is good for the children, it was assumed. But now we have an enormous amount of research on divorce and children, all pointing to the same stubborn truth, that kids suffer when moms and dads split up. Research shows that children from divorced homes suffer academically. They experience high levels of behavioral problems. Their grades suffer. They're less likely to graduate from high school. Kids whose parents divorce are substantially more likely to be incarcerated for committing a crime. 70% of long-term prison inmates, 70% grew up in broken homes. And because the parents' income drops after divorce, children in divorce homes are five times more likely to live in poverty than children with married parents. Teens from divorced homes are much more likely to engage in drug, alcohol, and sexual behavior than those who are in intact families. Now, we also have a tendency to think that uh, the children are resilient and they can recover from anything. They can recover from mom and dad divorcing. And again, we find that that is not true. It's a myth. Psychologist Judith Wallerstein followed up on a group of children of divorce from the 1970s into the 1990s, interviewing them at 18 months and then 5, 10, 15, and 25 years after the divorce. Now, she expected to find that they had bounced back, but what she found was dismay. Even 25 years after the divorce, these children continued to experience substantial expectations of failure, fear of loss, fear of change, and fear of conflict. 25 years after mom and dad went through their divorce. The children in Wallerstein's study were especially challenged when they began to form their own romantic relationships. 
As Wallerstein explains, contrary to what we have long thought, the major impact of divorce does not occur during childhood or adolescence. Rather, it rises in adulthood as a serious romantic relationships move center stage. Anxiety leads many adult children of divorce into making bad choices in relationships, giving up hastily when problems arise, or avoiding relationships altogether. Children never get over divorce. It's a great loss in their lives forever. It's like a grief that never ends. All special events like holidays and graduations, marriages, births of children, all bring up the loss that was created by a divorce. One researcher concluded the death of a parent is less devastating to a child than divorce. Society has good reason to invest in God's plan for marriage and family because children cannot flourish as well in any other kind of environment. According to the Journal of Marriage and the Family, children living with both biological parents are 20 to 35% more physically healthy than children from broken homes. There's no other environment that so consistently and exceptionally produces children that flourish than the family and marriage that was designed by God. Marriages that stay together are beneficial to us all. Marriage is important. Marriage is good. God made marriage, and everything that God makes is good. Now that said, marriage in this fallen world is not all that it should be. This world is filled with sin. Every husband, every wife is sinful. And there are sinful and destructive influences on every marriage and family. And such has been the case since Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Now the word here, crafty or subtle, is suggests to an intent to deceive. And it tells us here that this was made by God, this animal. And uh, that means that it didn't just preexist. In fact, we're not really told in the Bible about the origin of evil. That's something we'll have to find out when we get to heaven. One of the things we'll have to ask God. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the way that he phrased, did God not say, is done intentionally to sow a seed of doubt about what God said. It's intended to give an impression that God is... Uh, being spiteful and mean and jealous and self, uh, self-protective. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Now, it's really important for us to understand how important it is that we don't add to, to God's word, take away from God's word, or get God's word sideways. Because that's what happened to Eve here. You see, she took away from God's word by omitting the word freely, as in freely eat. She added to the God's word by talking about not touching it, where if you look at the original, God didn't say anything about touching it. And then she changed the word of God from you shall surely die into something more like lest you die, indicating there was some doubt that you'd actually die if you disobeyed this command. It's important for us never to add to, take away from, or go sideways on what God says. Now, Satan knows God's word. In fact, in his temptation of Jesus Christ, 
on two of the three occasions, he started with the Word of God. He used the Word of God. Or more precisely, he misused the Word of God because Jesus corrected him in the use of the Word of God. Verse 4, You shall not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what he was offering here was freedom and fulfillment, uh, delight, discovery, advancement, and autonomy. Ooh, that that looks good. But then he focused Steve's attention on God's one prohibition, God's one commandment. Before the Ten Commandments, there was only one commandment. Can you believe that? Don't eat of that tree. And it wasn't like they were hungry. They could eat of everything else. And it wasn't like everything else was mediocre. This is before Monsanto. This is before pesticides. That was the best food in the history of the world. But he focuses their attention on God's one commandment, suggesting God's really maybe withholding something good. You know, Tom Constable wrote something. He said, Satan often tempts women in particular to believe that God's designed role for them in marriage is primarily for his benefit rather than their welfare. In other words, women can think, you know, oh, this, there's something repressive, suppressive about what God has designed for women in, in marriage. That concept, that notion is a variation of this right here. It's the same thing. Satan's claim contradicted what God had established in chapters 1 and 2, that God was going to provide everything good that mankind needed. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now up until now in the narrative of the scriptures, when you find the phrase it was good, it was only being, it was God who was saying it. Like at the end of the days of creation, he'd say it was good. He'd step back, he'd look at his work and he'd say, I do good work, I do good work. And by the way, that's what we all should be able to do. At the end of the day, we step back, we inspect our work, and come to the conclusion, I do good work for the glory of God. But here, for the first time, it's now used by the woman who said it was good. Only in this case, what she said was good was what God said was bad. Now, the implication here is that Adam was with her and Adam had a responsibility to, to protect Eve and the garden and he failed in that responsibility because if he really was there, then he was passive and he was silent when all of this was taking place. And you know, that is still a sinful tendency in man to remain silent, passive, instead of taking care of protecting your wife and family. And it's also very much still a tendency of women to be overly aggressive as well. So those are things that were modeled by Adam and Eve here. Now Eve was deceived when she ate, but Adam was not. That means he sinned with his eyes wide open. He would rather follow his wife's instruction than God's instruction. Or another way of saying it, He chose to worship the creature instead of the creator. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They thought they were going to know what the difference was between good and evil, 
And this wasn't, I don't think, what they thought they were bargaining for. And what had been previously a sign of a healthy relationship, that of being naked and unashamed, being transparent with one another, is now something that is unpleasant, uncomfortable, and filled with shame. You know, they thought they were getting this, and they got something else. Satan is the ultimate con man. He'll sell you something that looks really good, and what you get is not what you thought you were getting. You may get what you want, but you may not want what you get. Been there, done that? (laughs) That's a question, not necessarily a confession. More from Pastor Leighton Sheely on this topic tomorrow at this same time. This is Study Verse by Verse, and it's a ministry of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. The series is Family Matters, and it was shared with the congregation back in 2017. As always, God's Word is timely and relevant, no matter what the circumstance you or we find ourselves in or the season of life. Let us know that you're listening. Share that fact when you visit highlands.us. And please keep in mind, we're listener-supported and depend upon folks just like you. You can give safely and securely at highlands.us. I'm Mike Trout. Have a blessed rest of your day and come back tomorrow for more as we study verse by verse.